podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Capella University, you're in control of your education. With the game-changing FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines and move at your own pace. The faster you move, the more you save. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Hello and welcome to the Cop Table podcast, where tonight we are previewing the Arsenal versus Liverpool game this coming Wednesday evening at the Emirates Stadium. Joining me once again is Jay Riley. You can get Jay on Twitter at the Cop HQ if you want to give him a follow there. Also regular with us on the Cop Table. So, how are you doing, Jay? Yeah, just a little bit disappointed after the the Burnley game, really, just because. You know, when you win the league, it's it's fantastic. You're on cloud nine, but then you start looking, don't you? With these games left, and you you want to win every single home game. You want to get the record points tally. You know, there's a couple of records there still to be broken, and you know, also a bit disappointed for Allison as well because you know that's the last two games now where we've conceded the goal in each game and. It's looking a little bit unlikely that he's going to get the Golden Glove Award this season for the most clean sheets and also for most Salah as well, in a way, because you know he, he would have loved to have made it a hat-trick this season for the Golden Boot, but he's now four behind, isn't he, of Jamie Vardy because he scored against Bournemouth on Sunday. So, you know, it's looking unlikely for him to get the Golden Boot this season as well. So, you know, as I say, th- th- we've won the league, fantastic Waited such a long time for it, but the the Burnley game knocked the stuffing out of us a little bit. I thought, and you know, as I say, it was you know from the personal point of view, the personal accolades of certain players. It just doesn't look like they're going to get them awards this season. No, and um, that's where we're going to start off tonight's podcast. We're going to talk, well, review the the Burnley game from from Saturday afternoon. I thought once again Liverpool dominated the the first. First half, didn't he? And keeper made some very good saves, and arguably could have gone into the into the half time time break three or four up. Second half, we we still in control of the game, and but obviously with, with just that one goal lead, there's always the the opportunity for Burnley to to counter attack or or get a goal from a set piece, which which they did, and it is with the with the Rodriguez strike, didn't he? So one one, and then still thinking twenty minutes to go, we could easily. Get another one here, but he sort of huffed and puffed, and he created one or two chances. Salah at the end, and um, came away with a point, didn't he? Which, like you say, was disappointing. But just give us your thoughts on the on the performance as a whole, please, Jay. Well, yeah, I thought we played really well, in particular in the first half. I mean, Nick Pope for me is, is the best English goalkeeper. There's without a shadow of a doubt now, and I think he's got the most clean sheets this season as well, hasn't he? And, Quite impressive, really, when you look at the calibre of team and the club that he's playing for, Burnley. And I did say on the previous podcast that they're, they're a strange team, really, Burnley, because they've been given a hide in this season by City, as, as they normally do every season. And they do normally tend to ship quite a few against Liverpool as well. And that probably should really have been the case on Saturday as well. But for Nick Pope, he was outstanding, really, he made three or four fantastic saves and you know as I say only for him it would have been around three or four nil at half time even and 
as I say, just a bit frustrating, really. We weren't clinical enough, but the keeper did make at least two world-class saves, one from Mane and one from Salah. Salah also had another chance where he tried to be a bit clever, where he tried to get him on the inside, but you know maybe should have tried to look for another area of the goal. And Just as I say, Liverpool started really well. And it's as I also mentioned on the previous podcast that you just don't really know how to predict these games now because there's not really a great deal riding on it because we've, we've achieved the ultimate goal of being the, the champions, the, winning the Premier League title and it's already been done, it's sewn up, it's wrapped up so it, it is difficult to assess now but you know, as I say, there's still targets there and there's still aims and as I just touched on there about you know Alisson wanting to keep clean sheets for the Golden Glove, Mo Salah trying to go for the Golden Boots, you know, just a little bit frustrating for them for the personal accolades really. But in terms of the the, the general play in in the first half, Liverpool were, were fantastic really, and like I say, should have been three or four nil up at half time, and unfortunately we weren't. And when you're only one nil up, you always leave yourself open potentially. You're susceptible, aren't you? For you know the opposition to, to to score against you really from maybe a set piece or something, and although it didn't come from like a corner or anything like that, it was it was a good goal really. To be fair to Jay Rodriguez, he, he's a decent centre forward. He he has scored a number of good goals in his career, um, but just a little bit frustrating from our point of view really. And, and in the build up to it as well, it looked like you know. Um, a decision went against us really didn't it as well which didn't help but you know like I say it's just so frustrating really because Burnley had players missing as well for that game and you know on another day Liverpool could easily put five past them and just frustrating that we, we only drew 1-1 with them but again you know in the second half we I think the performance level dipped a little bit to be honest with you and you know, Mo Salah snatched at a chance, didn't he? And he should really have done better. Firmino, who still hasn't scored a goal in the Premier League and I'm feeling season, which is quite remarkable, really, isn't it? 18 home games, not scored. He hit the post, really, but he, it was a scuffed effort, really, wasn't he? Didn't hit it clean and it hit the post. Um, and Curtis Jones had a couple of opportunities, one in the first half that, you know, it just took a deflection and went wide. And then the one in the second half, really... I think he should have scored it, to be honest. He just did it 2-2 for me and, you know, it just went into the cop. And I thought, you know, Curtis Jones looks a, a fantastic player. He's got a bright future, but I just thought he was trying a little bit too hard to impress, really, and needs to settle a little bit more if, you know, the more starts he gets in a red shirt. But, like I say, you can't complain too much about the display and the performance. Liverpool played really well, but, you know, to drop points in the manner that we did... It's just frustrating, really, because it would have been great to, to win all 19 home games, wouldn't it? Because no team's ever done that, have they? So it would have been brilliant if we could have achieved that. And frustrating the second to last game, we've ended up dropping points to, to you know, no disrespect to them, but Burnley are a mid-table team, aren't they? And like I say, injury ravaged as well. They had quite a few players missing. So, you know, fantastic point for them, but disappointing from Liverpool's aspect really but as I say in terms of the display Liverpool did perform well it was just one of them games really where nothing went for us it was a poor referee in display as well I thought by Coot um, you seen it at the end didn't you Klopp had a go at him and Andy Robertson did as well and there was the penalty incident wasn't he in the second yeah. half which to be, to be honest it's it, to, to me, it was a 50-50. I mean, at the time, you're thinking in, in real play, you're thinking it's a penalty. When you see the replay, 
it does look like he, he, he did get a little bit of a touch to it before he caught Robertson. But then I watched the analysis show on, on Sky um, today and they were saying it was the spin on the ball that made it look like he'd clipped the ball away. But I just think it was fine margins, really, and it went to VAR or apparently in the background VAR had a little check of it and they deemed it not a foul or not a penalty. They thought he got the ball. And as I say, if it was against Liverpool, you probably would say he looks like he's got a touch on the ball. Whether he did or he didn't, I'm not sure. It was a really difficult one to call, really. And but Liverpool were frustrated, and you could tell Robertson wasn't too happy that he never got it because at the end he he wasn't impressed with the referee at all. He gave him a mouthful of abuse, didn't he? After the end of the game, and it's good to see that though. Really, I mean, people might say it's a bit disrespectful, and there's no need. It's like a professionalism to do that after the game, but it shows a fighting spirit still, and you know disappointment really that yeah we've won the title but it's disappointing that we haven't picked up all three points there and he feels that he's been hard done by then it should have been a penalty so you know it is good to see really I think and as I say just frustrating just got to move on now to the next game and make sure we win in midweek yeah and just um, going to the to the VAR like you was like you've mentioned and then obviously it wasn't in our itinerary to talk about that but just while you're on the subject um, there's been a few very, very sus- suspect decisions, shall we say. The Fernandez penalty, wasn't there? There was one that Kane should have had. Um, the one where the, the goal line incident with Aston Villa. Ever since the, the game has, has come back from the from the, from the the break due to, due to the coronavirus, it just seems that the VAR has gone totally down the pan and it, it, they're not getting the decisions right. I thought before... Before, before the break happened that it was pretty much spot on and they, they was getting decisions correct in my opinion but it just seems that there's so much now that that's going um, the wrong way I, I, I don't know why do you think it's possibly because there's, there's a lack of pressure on the on the referees there's, there's no crowd there there's no, no if you know what I mean there's no no atmosphere no pressure on them do you think that's that's a factor in some of these decisions that, that aren't being called right Jay? It's difficult to say, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's straight away when the restart happened, the Aston Villa game in Sheffield United, I mean, that was an absolute shambles, that the way the referees, apparently his watch wasn't working for goal line technology. I mean, that is massive error because, realistically speaking, I know Sheffield United have been a little bit hit and miss. They've hit a bit of form recently, but they haven't been good at the, you know, at the start of all this, the restart of the season. They'd struggled a little bit and you know, realistically speaking, no, that that was a goal, and and to me, okay, goal line technology never worked, but that's where VAR should have stepped in and said, look, that's over the line, it's a goal, and he never. And to me, that's very disappointing because if they're trying to introduce these this technology, which they have done over the last couple of seasons, then to me, that that was a key incident that should have been rectified by VAR, regardless of the the goal line technology. Um, so so that set that set the tone really, hasn't it? You know, shambles really, and you know you're talking about some of the decisions that have happened like quite recently as well. The Bruno Fernandez one. I mean, what an absolute farce! I mean, it's, it, what doesn't help is the player. He's only been in this country a couple of months, but he, he makes an absolute meal of it, and we've seen it against Spurs as well, where he where he where he sort of like dives. Like, you know, I think it was on Eric Dyer. He sort of like leaves his leg in and, and 
throws himself to the ground. You know, he's getting a bit of a reputation. I mean, Man United fans are creaming themselves over him and, you know, people who like Man United are, are judging him, saying he's, he's, he's this, he's that, he's fantastic. But to me, he's like a little cheat. Do you know what I mean? It's like he's been dubbed Bruno Fernandes because, you know, how many goals has he scored have been penalties and, you know, some of them have, have been a little bit unjustified that they were penalties. So, you know, they've been very fortunate, I think. You know, as I say, a lot of them are fa- a lot of decisions have favoured Manchester United. But then you, you look at the, the incident with Jack Grealish and, you know, again, that was very similar to the Fernandes incident. And then that goes to VAR and it gets overturned and quite rightly so because the Fernandes one should have been overturned against Aston Villa as well. So, you know, as, as I say, Jack Grealish sort of like leaves his foot in on Van Arnold and goes down, throws himself to the ground, should have been booked for diving for being so dramatic, which I hate. So it's embarrassing, really, throwing yourself to the ground like that. And quite rightly, VAR did overturn that one. Um, I know a few Evertonians were up in arms about the penalty that Wolves got yesterday um, on Podence. It was Din- Luca Dinia uh, put a challenge in on him. But when you look at the replay, he was clever what the, what he'd done, the, the Wolves forwards. He sort of like sort of stands on the ball and flicks the ball away and Dinya comes in and he's rash and he takes his leg so you know to me that is a penalty um, but but no you know you're dead right it's been there's been some really strange incidents ever since the restart and more so than what I can remember probably prior to it you know like when you know majority of the season I think Sheffield United had a bit of a dodgy incident didn't he when they played against Tottenham away um, there's, there's obviously been a few of them, hasn't he? I mean, one of the worst that I've seen was, I remember Daniel James went into the box and he threw himself into the Norwich defender, um, might have been Godfrey. And because obviously Godfrey's a big six foot three centre half and Daniel James only like a small little winger, he bounced off and goes to ground, gets the penalty, goes to VAR and they still give a penalty. I mean... I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, it was a foul on the Norwich defender, if anything. It's not his fault. He's six foot three. And, and Daniel James is a little fart. Do you know what I mean? But um, as I say, some of the decisions have been shocking. And, you know, this is the thing that I, I always said all along about Leicester as well. I think at one point during the season, Leicester were, were obviously talked up, weren't they, as title contenders? And at the time, they'd benefited by about seven points from VAR decisions. Now, all of a sudden, as the season's progressed and gone on, and obviously now we've come back from the restart, the form has dipped dramatically. They haven't been getting the VAR decisions. And look, all of a sudden, now they're out of the top four for the first time since September. So, you know, as I say, they do say, don't they, over time, decisions end up evening themselves out and it certainly seems to have been the case with Leicester anyway because they've dropped out the top four now but it'd be nice to see that happen against Manchester United because I think they must be top now of the VAR league mostly with decisions like favourable decisions that have gone their way so you know you're right since the restart it seems to have got progressively worse so this certainly needs looking at I think moving into next season and you know, when, as I say, watch the, the, the analysis show on Sky this morning and Stephen Warnock, ex-Liverpool, Aston Villa, Leeds player, left-back, he actually made a good point. He said he thinks it shouldn't be referees who were in the VAR room. It should actually be ex-footballers because they know the game better than referees and that's quite true. So, you know, maybe that's something to look into moving forward, but whether or not the, the powers that be would allow that, who knows. Okay, cheers, Jake.
Okay, we'll move back over to um, some more Liverpool news that's that's been today. Uh, well, I think it was last night that Paul Joyce put a tweet out, didn't he, to say that there was interest in um, Dejan Lovren from, from Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, something uh, I read something else today about the, the only thought, he only had one year left on his contract when it's it's, it's actually, I think it's two if they decide to to um, activate the extension that, that they have with him. So, what's your thoughts on this um, potential transfer of Lovren over to uh, Russia and St. Petersburg, Jay? Well, look, he's fourth choice centre-back, isn't he? And we all know he's, he's not the most liked Liverpool player in the world, is he? I mean, he's very error-prone, isn't he? And it, it's it's very evident that he's not very well liked by a lot of the, the Liverpool fan base and no one would really, you know, be bothered if he did move on to tell you the truth. You, you're seeing people today saying they'll pay for the taxi fare to the airport and stuff like that. And, you know, I feel a little bit for him because, you, you know, you can tell he's a passionate fella, isn't he, do you know what I mean? And he did have a decent run in the sides when we, when we got to Kiev that, that year. Um, playing alongside Virgil van Dijk, he's he done very well for, for quite a few months in that season. Um, but I just think that this team's evolved now and he's not good enough for Liverpool no more. He's just, he's an accident waiting to happen and time and time again, he's just not very trustworthy at all and he also opens his mouth a little bit too much on social media for my life and always seems to put his foot in it and like I say, it's it's one of them situations where if Liverpool have got a ready-made replacement, then you'd say all day long, get shut. But the problem is, have we really got a ready-made replacement? Because who would take his, his place in the squad? Because when you look at some of these young boys that played in the FA Cup and League Cup games, the likes of Sepp Vandenberg, he doesn't look ready. He looked so far out of his depth, it was unbelievable. Um, other than that, like Nat Phillips is at that age where I think he's about 23 now. And I just don't think, I know he came back and done his return in the derby game in the FA Cup, but I don't think he's got a future at the club. He'll probably be moving on to pastures new. And then other than that, you've got you've got Hoover, who I think he's got a lot of developing and growing to do. I just wouldn't feel comfortable with him being fourth choice centre-back for next season. So I think if we did sell Lovren, we would have to dip into the market and sign someone now. There has been all the talk about being interested in in the Brighton centre back who's been on loan all season at Leeds. Uh, ben White, now yeah, he looks a he looks a decent prospect. He looks like he could be something, could have something there. But what you've got to consider is Brighton might want to give him his opportunity next season at their own club. And if they're not going to, then they're probably going to want twenty five, thirty million pounds. And in this COVID nineteen inspired transfer window, Liverpool just haven't got that type of money. Do you know what I mean? To, to spend on, on one. So, unless we were going to get our money back on Lovren, £20 million that we spent five, six years ago, it seems unlikely that that you know we would be signing someone like Ben White. So, you're looking thinking, well, would, would we promote from within? And as I've just touched on there, I don't think there's anyone really there that you could hang your hat on and say, yeah, I'd trust them to be fourth choice next season. So, it is a bit of a dilemma because of the age of him. I think, is he 30 now, Lovren? And there's talk of him extending his deal, the one-year trigger on the clause, one-year extension. And that's purely just down to 
the the assets, the the valuation, because really with one year left, you're probably looking at maybe getting four or five million for him. Whereas if he's got two years left, all of a sudden you might get ten million for him. So I think that plays a part in potentially giving him the extended one year deal, the roller on it. So I don't know. I mean. There's all talk that he is certainly up for sale. So if someone does come in and the Zenit St. Petersburg link surfaced, didn't it? And they're interested in him. So whether or not they'd be prepared to pay five million or ten million for him, I don't really know, to be honest. But like I say, he's fourth choice and if Liverpool haven't got anyone lined up to replace him, then I don't know, do you let him go and then have Fabinho as your fourth choice to fill in? I'm not so sure. I mean, Joel Matip is is very injury prone, so he's third choice, but he's injury prone. And let's be let's be brutally honest about it. Before we had the the basically the season got stopped for the COVID nineteen. Joe Gomez was absolutely outstanding playing centre half with Virgil Van Dijk. But then ever since the restart, he's been absolutely horrendous. I mean that game against City, he was just to me. He, he looked terrified at Raheem Sterling, to be honest. He got caught out, he got give away a penalty, he looked rash and you know, he ended up getting subbed. So, you know, he's just not really recovered because in the games since then, he's been all over the place against Brighton away. I thought he was all over the place as well. You know, he's not, he struggled for, for form, I think, since the restart. So, I mean, look, we all know he's, he's a fantastic player Joe Gomez still in a young 22-23 he could form a formidable partnership for the next four or five years with Virgil van Dijk there's no doubt about that but like I say sometimes he you know he, he's had a few bad injuries already in his early career hasn't he um, and as I say if the person that you're, you're trying to sort of like trust in to be third choice Joel Matip he's, he gets injured a lot as well so realistically speaking I do think we need a centre half and I think we need one anyway, because I don't think Lovren's good enough. But, you know, if you're going to sell your fourth tree centre-half, you really do need to be replacing them to, to get someone in to, to, for competition for places. And purely because, you, you know, you could get injuries as well to some of your centre-halves. And God forbid um, Virgil van Dijk ever got injured because we we'd be snookered then. So, as I say, it's to me, I think it's important um, that, you know, it's, we get this right because... I wouldn't really want to be seeing Fabinho as the fourth choice centre half, to tell you the truth, because he'd be wasted there. I know he can do a job there, of course he can, but you know his forte is playing as the defensive midfielder, you know, in, in the centre of the park. So you know, it's certainly an interesting one moving forward now into this transfer window. Okay, cheers, Jay, for your thoughts on um, the transfer of Dejan Lovren there. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Okay, so we're Arsenal on Wednesday night, Jay. Another game, um, another away game. So, just give us your your thoughts on how Arsenal have have progressed since this uh, um, since the lockdown, basically, and and since we come back to playing football. And then just give us give us your thoughts on um, a potential lineup for Liverpool while uh, while you're talking about that as well, please. 
Jay? Well, look, I think with Arsenal, I mean, they've been an absolute shambles for a long, long time. You know, the last few years of Wenger, you know, he outstayed his welcome. He only pretty much kept his job because he won a couple of FA Cups. And, you know, you, you shouldn't mock it because he's still winning a trophy. And as our neighbours from across the park know, they haven't won a trophy for, you know, 25 years. So an FA Cup still a decent trophy. It's not the trophy it once was, but it's still a decent trophy to win. And, but the thing is, he, he outstayed his welcome, really, Wenger. He tarnished his legacy a little bit because the first decade under Wenger, they were outstanding. The last decade, they were, you know, a little bit frail, a little bit poor. The, 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 the alarmingly, the mistakes they used to make. He was a shambles and he didn't evolve with the game enough. And, and I say this about Jose Mourinho as well, exactly the same for him. You know, he's, he's you know, I think he's gone stale as a manager now and you could see that at Manchester United and it's just carried on at Tottenham. He's just not evolved with the game and, you know, he outstayed his welcome there, Wenger, for me. And then he got Unai Emery, who done really well at Seville, won a couple of Europa Leagues, didn't he, and beat us in a file as well. And, his style of football, you would have thought, might have suited Arsenal, but again, lack of discipline, you know, no backbone to the team, defensively woeful, midfield, absolute shambles, like a knife through butter. Always scored goals, always easy on the eye to watch. You know, obviously, you've got a Bamiyang, like I said, he scored goals. Um, but like I say, you know, it's. It, they needed something there to show that they've got a little bit of a siege mentality, a little bit of a spine, to grow a spine. You know, to cut out the mistakes, really, um, as well, because they've got a lot of calamity-style players. As I say, play good football, that's always been the case, but a very, very weak spine. But anyway, um, since Arteta's gone in there, I thought it was a bit of a strange appointment, to tell you the truth. You know, a young and experienced manager first proper job yeah he's worked under Pep Guardiola but it's one thing working as someone's right hand man but then actually being the main man but to be fair to him and as much as I dislike him because he's ex-Everton and all that I, I do think to be fair he, he's done a really good job he, he, it's, they've impressed me under under Arteta they've actually developed a little bit of a backbone they've, they've grown a bit, a bit of a spine you know, they, they aren't as gutless as what they had been over the last, what, five, six, seven years. Um, they've showed a little bit of spirit as well. They've continued to play some good football and they score goals. Still, Aubameyang's up there for the Golden Boots, got 20 goals this season. Um, they have certainly improved under them. There's no doubt about that. They've been on a decent run of form before they lost to Tottenham. You know, they, they had a couple of good wins at home. They, uh, they should really have beat Leicester, but obviously they had the man sent off in Niketia. Um, but other than that, they had a couple of good away wins at Sheffield United in the Cup, Southampton away, um, which is not an easy place to go. So, so like I say, they've had some decent results um, and he has improved them because, as I say, you look at the league table and they're pushing on for the Europa League place now. Before that, they were probably top of the bottom half. So they have come on a little bit for me, but they still make them mistakes. They've still got David Luiz centre-half. They've still got Mustafi centre-half. They've still got Jacker in the middle of the park. They're all, you know, they've still got them players and they're still always likely to make a mistake. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday against Tottenham, wasn't it? Let's be honest. They scored a great goal from Alexander Lacazette. And then literally five minutes later, they make a mistake. Kalashanach. 
uh, a mess, a bit of a mix-up with David Louise and Son Nipshane 1-1, and then they lose it at the very end. So they'll be disappointed with that. But I have seen signs of progress from this Arsenal team because they, they, they haven't lost that many games since Arteta's took over. They've drawn a lot. But they've they've not lost too many games. They've they've certainly improved, but you know, have they improved enough to, to keep Liverpool out on Wednesday night? And have they improved enough to avoid defeat against Liverpool on Wednesday? I'm not so sure. Okay, Jay. So just um a potential lineup then. Obviously, um the front three started, didn't he? Mane, Firmino and Salah against uh, Arsenal at I suspect that then three will play again. It's usually our, our midfield where um, decisions are made on on who plays really. And Curtis Jones came in the knee, and also Nico Williams played ahead of Trent. So would you expect uh, them two to drop back down to the bench and the likes of um, Trent and um, another midfielder coming in there to replace Jones? Yeah, it's as I say, it's going to be interesting and very interesting on the team selection because. It's at that stage now of the season where what you do, you know, as I say, the league's wrapped up. So he has made a few changes in, in some of the games, hasn't he? So it's sort of like, it's hard to second guess what he will do. But I do think he'll go with the, the normal front three because the, the, in reserve, the likes of Origi and Minamino and stuff, it, it's... You know, it's not great, is it? Let's be honest. So that's why you should go with the forward three. There's no reason why not. And we should have a, an absolute field day, really, against this Arsenal back line. Um, but I do think they could cause us problems, though, to be fair. As I say, Aubameyang, Lacazette, um, you know, Saka, Pepe. They've got they've got dangerous players. There's, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, they have improved a little bit in midfield, but... You know, they've still got Xhaka in there and he's just he's 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 rash, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? So, you know, I think Fabinho in the midfield, it's a shame that Henderson's unavailable for the game. Obviously he's injured as we know. Um Nabi Keita, there's no reason whatsoever why he shouldn't start the game because you know, he didn't start the game against uh, Burnley at the weekend, which was a bit disappointing, wasn't it, to, to some fans? Because he has been playing well. He's arguably been our best player, to be honest, since the restart. Um, and then, you know, to toss up whether Wijnaldum or Oxlade-Chamberlain plays. I mean, pff, it, it's a strange one for me because Oxlade-Chamberlain, if you're going to play him, you've got to play him in midfield because he can pop up with a goal from midfield. But, as regards playing him in the forward three, it's a no-no because that game against Brighton, he might as well not be on the pitch. And it's not the first time when he's played in the advanced three, it's just, it might as well not be on the pitch, might as well be down to 10 men. So play him in his correct position. And I said this about Nico Williams, didn't I, in the last podcast? Don't play him a left-back, please, because he cuts in on his right all the time. And he, he got caught on the wrong side too often for my liking. So he did play in the game against Burnley right-back. And, you know, I thought he's done quite well, to be fair. Um, but coming up against you know a Burnley team or going away to Arsenal when you could be coming up against a Bamiyang on that side, you know I think I'd probably prefer to go with the tried and trusted in, in, in Trent Alexander-Arnold. And we all know Trent's not a fantastic defender either, but because he's so good going forwards, then that might give Bamiyang a few issues because he doesn't really like getting tracking back and you know, his defensive duties on that side. So then, you know, obviously if, if Liverpool have got a little bit more of the ball and, and obviously Trent's down that right-hand side, it could cause them problems, you see what I mean? So, you know, it's an interesting one. Um, 
but like I say, it, it's these games. It's just the season is 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 pretty much you know it's over, isn't it? All Liverpool want to do is try and get to these under points, and you know that's it now. And hopefully we will do. But I just think with Arsenal, it, it could be an entertaining game. It really could because as I say, you know the. There always tends to be goals when it's Arsenal against Liverpool, but this is the first time it's Arteta's Arsenal against Liverpool. So, as I said before, they have improved a little bit and you know they've developed a little bit of a backbone now and more of a spine to the team and they've got more spirit. So, they haven't lost as many games as like they had been doing. They have been getting a lot more draws nowadays. So, I just think you know it's an interesting game, but... Regardless of what I've said there about Arteta, you know, it's, this is Arteta's Arsenal now, and I have seen signs of improvement. I still can't see there being goals in this game. Um, so I'm going to go for a very entertaining scoreline of Arsenal 2, Liverpool 4. So a 4 2 victory in the favour of Liverpool for Jay there on the, on the score pre- pre- predictions. Didn't even have to. Uh, Prompt him tonight, straight in there with his with his predictions. So yeah, my own thoughts on the on the scoreline. Like Jay says, yeah, I agree. It's um, it's one of them games where Liverpool could, could score plenty of goals, and Arsenal are really susceptible at the back and um, wide open at times, and all at sea, and the, all different ways to explain that Arsenal back line and it. There to be got off for, for me as well. So yeah, I think um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with a three-one scoreline for Liverpool. Um, obviously, like Jay says as well, the Arsenal forward line can cause you trouble. The likes of Bamiang and, and Lacazette and the players coming from from behind them. They've, they've got one or two decent midfielders as well, but in defence they're just they're, they're, they're terrible at times, aren't they? So yeah, I'm going to go with a with a three-one victory in the favour of um, Liverpool on. On Wednesday evening, and hopefully towards another um, set us on the road to, to more victories, where we can try and break this this points record, can't we? But if not, doesn't really matter, does it? We're we're still champions, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. We'll we'll be lifting that trophy against Chelsea um, a week on on Wednesday night, won't be at Anfield. So that's uh, the main thing that it's all, all all wrapped up, and we are champions. So that's good for us. Right, okay then. Just before we go, just to say a big thanks to the to the lads at the LSE Day Trippers for editing our podcasts, gathering all the people over there, putting out the podcast on all their platforms. Don't forget to keep up, as we say every week, with the No More Knives campaign, hashtag No More Knives. You can follow Paul Bentley and, and his people over there who are doing some fantastic work with the um, with the young people and, and all different age groups on the education of um, knife crime in the in the Merseyside and surrounding areas. So yeah, keep up to date with the with the No More Knives campaign, please, and give them all your your support as, as much as possible. So yeah, thanks very much for uh, for joining me again, Jay. No problem at all, Peter. Hopefully it's an entertaining game on Wednesday. I think it will be. Normally is between Arsenal and Liverpool. So, you know, let's un- enjoy the game and hopefully another three points for the mighty Liverpool. Good stuff, yeah. And then our next game after that is Chelsea. I have check today i have um done my own work and made sure i don't know what the upcoming fixtures are so yeah we'll get back to you with um with another podcast before the before the chelsea game next next week um on the wednesday 
So yeah, thanks everybody for for listening. Don't forget anyone who, who leaves your, your feedback on the on our Twitter pages or the Cop Table Twitter pages. We always read them and and get back to you and the comments are very much appreciated that people leave. So yeah, just just keep on leaving the comments if you would. Thanks everybody for listening and uh, speak to you all very soon. Goodbye. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Sports Social Podcast Network.